Good morning. Welcome, River Rock Bible Church. So glad that you guys are here with us this morning as we continue our Love Where You Live series. If you've been paying attention to the media recently or in the last few months, you may have seen a number of interviews with local law enforcement uh, chiefs and different officers who have come out saying that we wholeheartedly support this Love Where You Live initiative. In fact, every October that uh, here in Central Texas, our law enforcement officers come out and they support a similar movement called National Night Out. And you may be thinking to yourselves, why is it that unanimously these officers and these leaders in our community are supporting this? And I think it's because they, more than anyone, know that some of the struggles that they deal with on a day-to-day basis are real-life personal issues, that, they, that their problems that they deal with are human issues. And they understand that if we would simply love one another, that if we would interact with each other in a loving, grace-filled way, that a lot of what they have to deal with would, would subside. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that when we think about everything that, that we do as Christians, we ought to know this more than anyone We ought to understand this reality that if we could just relate to one another in love, that our world, our community would be a different place. Because that's exactly what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, where he affirms the great commandment. Let's look at what he says. He says this, Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. So when Jesus is asked what is the most important thing, he boils it down to one thing. Love. He says just love. Love directed in two two directions. Towards God and towards the people around you. If you think about it, the greatest need of every human being on the planet is love. It's the biggest question we have. Is there someone for me to love and does someone love me back? And so Jesus goes straight to that human need and he says, hey, uh, just love. God knows that he's created us in his image with the ability to receive his love, but at the same time to be able to turn around and express it to others. Now, I, I, I know that there are some of you who you see this movement, you know that we're asking you to go out and get to know your neighbors, and you're a little bit cynical. Uh, and, and I just want to point one word out to you. Let's put that, those verses back up here. I just want to point out one word to those of you who are cynical. I know there's only three of you here but, uh, that are cynical, but let me just point this one word out to you. Let's say it together. Jesus. Who said this? Jesus said this. This isn't Charlie. This isn't Pastor Charlie saying, go out and meet your neighbor. This isn't River Rock Bible Church saying, go out and meet your neighbor. And so when you say, I don't have time to do this, or you just decide, I'm not going to do this because it's not that important to me, let me just warn you that someday when you meet this person, you are going to have to give him the reason why you didn't think it was important enough for you to get up off your couch and go and meet your neighbor and to learn to love them. All right, I'm being a little bit facetious here, right? I'm being a little bit sarcastic But really, it's a great reminder that, hey, you know what, someday I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and answer to how well I did fulfilling the greatest commandment. What he said is the greatest commandment. 
And I, I know we're being a little sarcastic here, but sometimes when you're cynical, it takes a little bit of sarcasm to break through that cynicism. And, and uh, you know, I know it's difficult. It's a challenge to get out and to meet our neighbors, isn't it? Because the more we go out and we meet our neighbors, the more we find that people bug us. And sometimes we bug them, right? And so it's difficult. And what do we do in this time when, when we find that that people irritate us. They do things that just bug us. And so what I want us to do this morning, I know you guys have already been in groups a little bit, but I want us to continue that. It's Interactive Sunday here at River Rock Bible Church. You didn't know that, but it is. What I want us to do is just get in groups of two or three or four, and I want us to come up with, I'm going to give you a couple minutes, come up with your top three things that your neighbors do that bug you. All right? Top three things that your neighbors do that bug you. I know some of you have your neighbors here, so be careful who you sit next to. Uh, So let's go ahead, get in just some small groups and just say, hey, here's the top three things my neighbors do that bug me. Ready, set, go. All right, some of you have a lot to say on this. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Now, we could just as easily say, now tell the three things that you do to bug your neighbors, right? Um, But we're not going to do that this morning. So here's what I want us to do. I just want you guys to start calling out uh, one at a time. I have really bad handwriting, but I'm going to attempt to write these up here. So let's call out. What is is one thing your neighbors do that just bugs you? What do you got? Dogs bark early in the morning and late at night, right? So we'll put uh, dogs bark. What else? Bullets? Where do you live, chief? I think she needs a visit to her house. All right. Speeding. Speeding. All right, what else? Oh, not friendly? That's good. Rude. Because then they eat your plants, don't they? And your grass. Oh, man. You're talking my language. Oh, yeah. We'll put that under that same one. You know what I'm surprised hasn't come up yet? I'm surprised that no one said that they rat me out rather than talking to me. Anyone ever been on the receiving end of that? You, your party, maybe your party gets a little loud. Maybe your dog gets a little loud. And uh, rather than come over and say, hey, we're trying to sleep, would you guys mind turning it down? They call the police on you. Or maybe your grass does get a little bit high. And they call, not the police, they call someone way worse. They call the HOA, right? And now you got the little Gestapo on your front porch with a certified letter saying you need to cut your grass or else. Or you get that certified letter in the mail saying, hey, here's your ticket. And all of this could have been avoided if people would simply talk to one another and resolve their conflict. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at from Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say, three things that Jesus has to say about how we ought to go about resolving conflict. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Actually, we're going to go backwards, okay? So this is a little bit different. We're going to go backwards, and I hope you, you, as we go along, you'll understand why. We're actually going to start towards the end of the passage in verse 25. And, he, and the first thing I think Jesus wants us to see is that when it comes to conflict, we must resolve conflict quickly. 
We must resolve conflict quickly. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 25. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're still on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And I assure you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, if you have an issue with someone, if you have a problem, he puts this in a uh, uh, judicial context. He says, if there's a problem with someone while they're on their way to the court, you run alongside of them and say, can we settle this now? Can we do this without going to the court? Can we settle now? And he gives the reason. He says, because if it goes all the way through the judicial process, you may not like the outcome. It may not end well for you. It would be better for you to take your licks, take a few lumps and own your part of the conflict to be able to settle it quickly, be able to settle it right away, away because if it takes it all the way through, it's not going to end well for either one of you. Settle your conflict quickly. Paul says it a little bit differently in Ephesians chapter 4. He says it this way. He says, be angry and do not sin. Now, notice here, Paul says it's okay to be angry. Anger is an emotion. We all experience it. But he says, in your anger, do not sin. What we have to take away from that is that anger is an emotion. That is natural. But the results of our anger, what comes out of our anger, is not. I have three five-year-olds in my house. I understand this. I understand that you get angry when someone else takes your toy, but hitting them is not okay. You can be angry about it, but you're not going to hit your brother and sister, right? In your anger, do not sin. And then he goes on and tells us more. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. I like the way the NIV says it. The NIV says, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, if you've been in the military, you understand what this means, about giving the devil a foothold. A foothold is what you need in order to launch an attack. Think about why D-Day was so strategic and so important to the Allies during World War II. They needed a place from which they could launch an attack. They needed a foothold. And so Paul here is saying, look, don't give the devil a place to launch an attack on your mind on your heart, on your soul, on your relationships. And if you hold on to your anger, if you don't resolve the matter quickly before the sun goes down, then you've given him that foothold. You've given him a place where he can launch an attack and he can reach into your life and he can latch on to this part of you. Now, whether it's been two days, 20 minutes, or 20 years that you've been experiencing anger and unresolved conflict with someone, you have no idea what your life would be like without that anger residing within you, without those thoughts rolling around inside of you. Because here's what's happening. While you, you're mulling over your anger and all the things that you wish would happen to this other person, they are going on about their life and they are not giving you a second thought. Meanwhile, your time and energy is being consumed by this anger. And you have no idea what your life would be like if you would simply... Resolve that conflict and let that conflict go. Paul says, says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I know some people who take this literally. And so when they have arguments with their spouse, they don't go to sleep until they've resolved their differences. And I don't think that's what he's meaning. He's saying here, otherwise we would only get, get mad early in the morning, right? We'd only get angry with someone early in the morning. So we'd have all day to sit there and stew about it. And then we could finally resolve it before we go to bed. I think his point is, hey, just settle the matter quickly. 
Settle it quickly because if you don't, if you don't, man, you're just giving Satan that little bitty foothold in which he can launch attacks. And I think as we, as we think about this, we have to realize that when it comes to obeying God, when it comes to, to what he's asking us to do in loving our neighbors, that there is this important part of obedience that, that we miss out on. That if we, would, if we would just let go of our anger, if we would just resolve the conflict quickly out of obedience to Jesus Christ, that we would be able to experience something powerful in our lives, his powerful working in our lives. When is the last time you experienced the explosive power of Jesus Christ in your life? And could it be that simply by holding on to your anger, that you have allowed Satan that foothold in your life, and he is blocking the good things that Jesus wants you to experience? Jesus tells us in John 10, he says, Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and may have it to the full. I had a great mentor, great friend, who says it this way. He says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal our joy, kill our relationships, and destroy our trust in God. And when you hold on to that anger and you allow that little bitty foothold, that's exactly what happens. He begins to steal your joy. He begins to kill the relationships with those other people that you should be having. And when you feel that emptiness because there's something broken inside of you, there's something broken in that relationship, then it begins to destroy your trust in God. Because, God, if you were really a part of my life, if you were really here, if you were hearing me, then you would help me get over this. You would help me let it go. Now, let me say this. Jesus calls us to resolve the matter quickly. He wants us to resolve our conflict quickly. In Romans chapter 12, Paul goes on and he says this. Paul tells us, Do not repay anyone for evil, evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. As some translations say, As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, here's, here's the thing, that there are times when we have conflict in our lives, and we may approach that person with whom we have the conflict, and they completely reject our offer, our desire to resolve this conflict. And we have to understand that that is okay. So long as we have done what God has called us to do, and we have pursued that reconciliation on our part, we have to be willing to let it go. We have to be willing to let it go, it's because when we don't, that's when we, that foothold comes in. We continue to pray for that person. We continue as we have opportunity to pursue that reconciliation. But if they're unwilling, then we simply have to let it go. We have to be like Elsa, right? Let it go, let it go. All right, let's move on. Second thing, yeah, quickly, thank you, thank you. The second thing that I think Jesus wants us to see is that God takes the second commandment seriously. God takes the second commandment seriously. Let's back up to verse 23. He says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now what you have to understand is that there are only two reasons why someone in this culture would be coming to make a sacrifice, coming to make an offering. The first is that it's a sin offering, and you are coming in order to make your sacrifice to restore your relationship with God. And the second reason is that you are coming simply to express your love for God. 
And so Jesus says, look, if you are coming and you're, you're planning to restore your relationship with God or express your love for God and you remember that there's a conflict between you and someone else, if you expect to experience that, that renewing, that restoration of a relationship with God, you expect to experience that expression of love with God, first you need to go to your fellow human being and reconcile with them. Because they are loved by God just as much as you are. That there is something there that you need to go and you need to leave your gift, reconcile, and make that relationship right first. Express your love for that person first. Then come. Then come and offer your sacrifice. Then come and offer your sacrifice. It just goes to show us how important the second half of the great commandment is. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. If you want your life to be filled with grace, to be flooded with God's love, then we've got to be willing to extend that and express that to other people. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, if you aren't able to do that, if you aren't able to express love for someone else and extend grace to them, then you must not, you probably just don't understand what God has done for you. Think about how much grace we have been given through Jesus Christ and how much love has been demonstrated to us on his behalf. He knows that the quality of life will change for us and for others, for people in our neighborhood, and throughout the world, if we can simply do this, if we can live grace-filled, loving lives towards the people around us, we don't recognize how important this obedience is. And if we would just obey what Jesus is asking us to do, I think we would experience something supernatural. God's power would explode in our lives if we would simply obey if we would just simply obey. Uh, we have a, a special guest here with us this morning. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of our law enforcement officers have come out in support of Art of Neighboring, and I think they understand uh, how different our lives could be if people would simply resolve their conflict in loving, grace-filled ways. And so I've invited Chief Nero of Georgetown Police Department. You guys give him a hand. I've invited him to come and share with us this morning. Just from the law enforcement side of things, he's a good friend of mine. Chief, welcome. Looks like I got invited for a bunch of work. Yeah, go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Chief's a good friend of mine, and we are blessed that he is here with us this morning. And uh, I just want to ask him a couple couple neighboring questions. You've been a big supporter. I remember we sat down in Roots, had a lunch, and I told you what the churches here in the greater Austin area were trying to do. I said, hey, we want to start a neighboring, and I got the word neighboring out, and he said, we're in 100%, uh, whatever we can do. So he's been behind it from the beginning, about two years now, and uh, it's been an amazing journey to see uh, everything that he does in this community. So Chief, let me just ask you from your standpoint, why is neighboring so important? So I think, how many of you are familiar with National Night Out? So we've been doing this for, for as long as I've been in law enforcement, and that's the whole premise of National Nine Out is how do we, as a law enforcement organization, take a leadership role in trying to get you to know who lives next door to you, right? That's the whole premise of Love Where You Live is getting to know the people you share life with. And, and for me, it kind of goes beyond 
just who lives in the house next to you, right? Neighboring for me is sort of who you share life with. Could be your coworkers. Those are all divine appointments, in my opinion. It's the guy you meet at the store who you see every day at the convenience store when you get a package of gum or a soda, just a kind word. All of those things make a difference. And for me, the whole neighboring piece goes back to one of the second greatest commandments, right, in in Matthew and Mark. And it's love, right? And and here's what I'd ask. This is a great analogy we we even talk with some, some officers with. Other than our relationship with Jesus... What's the next? Can I ask a question? Is that is that permissible? Absolutely. What's the next most important relationship you have in your home? So for guys, the answer is your spouse. (laughs) So what would that be? There we go. Excellent. I wish I had something to give you. I'm going to give you a card and and send something to you. Right? That was a great answer. So if we think about love in the context of marriage, how many of you have ever had emotions hijack your brain? Yeah, just about everybody, right? Well, when we talk about loving neighbors and, you know, spouses sort of start as neighbors at some point in our life, right? But that's like the, the one we could pay the most attention to, and it resonates the best. How do we treat each other spouse-wise? When we talk about love, what is love? If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God spells it out for us. Are we all the things that create conflict? Are we patient with one another? Are we kind to one another? Do we keep record of wrongs? And the things that always is, are we protective of one another? Are we supportive? Do we persevere? Do we have hope? Do we trust blindly because we know we belong to God? These are all the things for me neighboring-wise. If we did more of that intentionally, we would do much better, right, instead of letting emotions drive the train most of the time. Excellent. Thank you very much. Let me ask you another question. On a day-to-day basis, how much of what your officers deal with could be handled if neighbors would simply go across the street and talk to one another uh, instead of calling the police department? Right. I think you mentioned that before, too. Is anybody from Sun City? (laughs) Don't laugh. Do we have anybody? Seriously. Okay, very good. So we have some. So I'll be careful with how I phrase this because I pick on them all the time as an example of what, as the chief of police, I would want in every neighborhood. And what I say is Sun City, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, is one of the nosiest micro-communities that we have in Georgetown. Now, you're supposed to laugh, right? <laughs> and the reason I say that is a compliment. It's not, it's not meant to be derogatory. There's a greater sense of community there. And I think, does everybody agree there's something special about Georgetown? And I think that's because we do relationships better than most communities. I think what everything we're talking about, I think we do a little better than most places, and that's why everybody drinks the Georgetown Kool-Aid, as I like to call it, right? We love our own community. But in Sun City, you have a great infrastructure, right? I could send one email to one person, and that would get to 10,000 people within a matter of minutes, literally, and people would pay attention to it, right? There's a greater sense of neighboring and relationship there than in most places, and part of that's because most people are retired and Most people are there, and most people are in everybody else's business, but in a good way, right? Sometimes in a bad way, right, depending on which neighborhood you live in, because I know some of the neighborhoods, right? Some people just don't like other people in their business, but then don't move to Sun City, because that's kind of what you sign up for, right? They take care of one another. Out of all the crime in Georgetown, 34 of our Part 1 crimes occurred in Sun City last year. Out of like 934 of them in Sun City, and most of those, when you get down to what they were, we, there's not much we can do about those. 
It's about as safe as it possibly can be. And this is why. Because they look out for one another. Most of the time when things are on the verge of going bad, there's enough relational capital where we can go next door and say, hey, Charlie, I am really had a long day trying to sleep. Could you turn the music down? Right? If you try to do that without a relationship, how does that go? Now instead of one crime, now I have two. Right? <laughs> now I don't just have speeding, but now I have a fist fight out on the lawn because you came over to my house and insulted me for having my music too loud. Right? So I think it's really just a condition of heart in that, Without having relationships in the first place, it's really hard to solve conflict. Excellent. Last question is this. How would it affect the Georgetown Police Department's ability to handle uh, the most dangerous, most difficult, intense situations that we as citizens want dealt with if you guys weren't being called out to handle those noise complaints, uh, different things like that, and people resolve their conflicts through relationship and through neighboring? Sure. I don't know that we solve all of our, all of our world's problems, right? As long as there's evil in the world, there's going to be work for us to do. So I, I don't want you to put me out of a job, <laughs> although I'm anxious to get to heaven, right? But while I'm here, I do need to feed my family, right? <laughs> I think a lot of it just gets avoided, right? When it's, we take family violence, for example. Before things get violent, there's usually a respect issue, which starts with a relational issue. And then we have a relational issue that amounts to a lack of respect, and then there's emotions involved, and then we act upon those emotions. And in our world, those actions amount to crimes, right? Someone hits another person, someone stabs or shoots another person, and then we get called. It just goes back to how we treat each other in accordance with the Word of God, right? And it goes really back to this one-world love. Do we treat people in a manner in which they likely don't deserve? To me, that's what love is. And that's what I tell a lot of our young troops who are married, because we see a lot more divorce in law enforcement than we do everywhere else. And what I always hear as a chief is, I'm not in love with someone. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard a friend say that? Well, I love him, but I'm just not in love with him. And I want to I wanna hit him over the head, because that's really the most ignorant thing we can say if we understood what love is. That's what the taser's for. Right? Love is a choice. Love is an intentional choice to be patient, to be kind, to... We're talking about emotions. When we say, well, I'm not in love, that's an emotional response. Those come and go, right? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I've been married. Is anybody who's married, are you always happy? Always? Children in the home, are you always happy? You better shake your head yes, girl, because I know both your mom and dad, right? You're always happy. It's a choice in how we're going to respond and treat people. And, And I think for our job, when we do more of that, I have less work to do, right? And that's why we moved our family here to Georgetown because statistically we see much less of that here because we have a community that understands this better than most communities. Excellent. And for that, I'm grateful. Excellent. Thank you very much, Chief. It's been a pleasure to have you here with us. Anytime. Now, before you go, I would love the opportunity to uh, just pray for you. If that's all right with you, I'm going to lay hands on you, so don't uh, don't attack back or anything. He's a lot stronger than I am. Let's pray for our chief. Father, we are so grateful to have uh, Chief Nero here with us today, especially as we come on Law Enforcement Officers Day, uh, Peace Officers Day, and we remember the officers that serve us, protect us, Lord, and uh, often lay down their lives to keep peace, to keep us safe. Father, we pray that you would give Chief Nero wisdom as he leads the Georgetown Police Department in this city to be a city of excellence and compassion. And Lord, that you would just give him wisdom 
to perform his job to the best of his ability. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Just think, just think if we as River Rock Bible Church, just one little bitty church here in Georgetown, small church with a big vision, just think if every single one of our adults, 150 of us, were to begin neighboring in our different neighborhoods, how would that change our city? How would that change the world if it just started with us? Wouldn't that be a great place to start? So two things that I think Jesus wants us to see about conflict. Number one is that he wants us to resolve conflict quickly. And the second is that he wants us to understand that God takes the great commandment seriously. The last thing that he wants us to see is this, that big crimes of the heart begin with big crime, or big crimes of the hand begin with big crimes of the heart. Big crimes of the hand begin with big crimes of the heart. Let's look at these first verses here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it said uh, to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, if anyone is angry with his brother, he will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. Some pretty strong words coming from Jesus here. Some pretty strong words. Now, when Jesus is talking about becoming angry, now some of us think, hey, I'm doing pretty well with the Ten Commandments. I haven't committed murder yet. Like the day's still young, uh, kids are at home, I don't know what's going to happen, but you're thinking, man, I'm doing good with these top 10, but then when it comes to anger, Jesus says, if you get angry with someone, and what he's talking about here is not that little bit of anger that we all experience, he's talking about a simmering anger, right? So think about a, a pot of water being put over a fire on the stove, and it slowly begins to boil. And the more that it boils, the steam comes up, and pretty soon it's overflowing. Jesus is saying it's that kind of anger that you have to be on the lookout for, this simmering anger that you don't let it go day after day, month after month, year after year. It begins to eat away at you, and it's directed towards someone. And he says, if you've got that kind of anger that's directed towards someone, then you are just as guilty as if you had picked up a knife or picked up a gun and committed murder. He says, you're just as guilty. And he gives two examples here of, of what that actually looks like. In some translations, they leave the Aramaic word here for fool. He, they leave the Aramaic word, which is raka, right? And raka was such a common word in Jesus' day uh, that, that it was just used all the time. And it means fool. It's this idea of the fool in the Old Testament. If you read through the book of Proverbs, what you find is that you, you have the wise and the foolish contrasted. And the fool is this idea of someone who lacks a moral compass, They have no desire to be obedient to God. They're going to do their own thing and walk their own way. And so by calling someone a fool, to say you're a fool, you're basically saying, hey, look, you have no moral compass, and you're assassinating their character. You're assassinating their character in front of the people around them. It's this idea that, uh, to put it in modern terms, not just fool, it would be the idea of calling someone a stupid idiot. You call someone a stupid idiot, you call them an imbecile. Half-wit, nitwit, short-wit, all these other words mean the same thing. And when you say that to them, it diminishes them. And if you say that in front of other people, it diminishes them in their eyes as well. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, you are subject to judgment by the highest court. In our, our day, it would be 
the Supreme Court, saying if you call someone a fool, you're subject to the highest judgment. And then he goes on, the next one says, or if you say, you moron. This is the Greek word, moros, where we get our word, moron, right? I know it's a big leap to make that jump, but we get our word, moron. This is a great translation. He says, you moron. What he's talking about here is he's saying that, that you have uh, no character. Your character is worthless and evil. That's what this word means, that you're assassinating their character in front of the people around them. You've diminished them in the sight of everyone, and you're saying you don't even have the ability to change. You've assassinated their their morality and their character in front of the people around them. And Jesus says, if you do that, you deserve to go to hell. Like, you're deserving of hell if you don't let this go. These are some very strong words coming from Jesus. He doesn't take this lightly. Because Jesus understands that the anger that starts in our heart, the anger that starts in our heart very quickly moves to our mouths. And it's not a very big leap to go from our mouths to our hands. That we begin that process. It begins in the heart. It's not enough just to tuck the anger to the back of your mind and let it just roll around back there, even if you're not acting on it. Jesus says if you're letting it simmer in the back of your mind, that you are just as guilty as if you had actually committed murder. Because big crimes of the hand begin with big crimes of the heart. And when you do that, when you allow it to roll around like that, you're allowing Satan that foothold. So here's my challenge to us this morning. Jesus tells us to resolve our conflict. Is there a conflict in your life that you need to resolve? Are you willing to obey Jesus? To love your neighbor, to love your spouse, your coworker, the person who wrongs you? Are you willing to love them enough to resolve the conflict? Are you willing? Jesus is appealing to you to trust him, that he is enough, and that he will give you the strength that it needs to work through you and to empower you to move forward with pursuing reconciliation. Maybe it is a neighbor that's done one of these things up here to bother you. Maybe it's a job that you got fired from. You've been angry. Or a spouse, a loved one who said they would never leave you, they would never hurt you, yet they've abandoned you. And for years you've been letting that anger roll around in the back of your head. Are you willing today to resolve that conflict? To take the steps necessary to extend and express the love and grace that Jesus Christ has extended to you? Maybe you're here this morning and you're angry with God. You're angry with God about something that's happened in your life. I hope, I hope that today is the day that you would be willing to resolve that conflict with him because he's waiting. He's there. He's listening. He's already extending you grace and love through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you willing? Jesus wants you to be free from your anger. He wants you to be free from everything that weighs you down. He wants to give you your life back. If you would simply just let it go. As we move to our take two, this is a time for you to just think about what God is saying to you this morning. There's a spot in the bottom of your bulletin where you can write down, hey, here's what God is saying to me. And then below that, you can write down, here's what I'm going to do about it this week. 
If God has put the name of a family member or a coworker, a former boss or a neighbor on your heart, and he said, you need to resolve this conflict, you need to let go of that anger and resolve it, then I encourage you, write down those steps, write down what God is saying to you, and deal with it today. Deal with it today. Our elders are going to be in the back. All the elders that are in the room will be in the back, and they'll be available for prayer. Perhaps you say, I, I don't know what steps I need to take. I, I know that I'm angry, but I don't even know how to move forward. I just need someone to pray with me. So our elders will be back at the connections table during this take two time. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I do want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. I have been angry with God, but I, I believe that it's through Jesus Christ that I can resolve this issue. They're back there to talk to you as well. But at this time, I just encourage you to take two.